Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Victor Syndic Larson, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so... Before we kind of dive into our topic, which I know a lot of people are going to be very excited about, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in dogs and dog-powered sports? Yeah, uh, we got our first dog like 16 years ago. Then uh, we were students and we just moved together, me and my wife. And um, yeah, I wanted to go abroad for a couple of years for studying and um, so my wife, she wanted a dog as company when I was away. So uh, then just by coincidence, uh, we wanted like a pure or short haired GSP because they looked like fun and thought it would fit us. And just by coincidence, we managed to get the puppy from uh, yeah one of the most winning Norwegian mushers, Solvay Olsby. We didn't know who she was. Or, or anything but uh, when the dog was like two years old they motivated us to come and start training and compete a little bit and the dog was just doing amazing it was an amazing sled dog so uh, then we needed one more and since then we have been just everything it has been like more and more dogs <laughs> into our lives yeah so before you got this dog you weren't familiar with bike joring or ski joring or any of these activities no, not at all. We've seen some pictures, so we wanted like yeah, that's one of the reasons why we wanted a, a GSP, but uh, we didn't know anything about it. And the dog was like two years old before we did anything with in a harness, so uh, we didn't do any skiing or we just started a little bit with cycling. So we were not like professionals at all, but. Yeah. So you've grown quite a bit from that first dog and your first time out with the dog. Talk to us a little bit about the different sports that you enjoy with your dogs and if you have a favorite amongst them. Yeah, so we do, uh, we only do like sled dog sports. We don't do anything else with our dogs, but but uh, we do uh, many different uh, types. But bike touring is like what we prefer and where we started and uh, and I love to, to cycle without the dog that's like my main sport but uh so bike touring is the the main thing and uh, but we also do scooter and the ski dog uh, disciplines and a little bit sled like two dog sled and four dog sled can you share with our listeners who might not know you some of your accomplishments that you and your wife have achieved yeah so uh, six times world champion four times European champion, and I think 26 times Norwegian champion. But what I'm most proud of is like, we have won in many different kinds of disciplines and, and many different kind of, with many different kinds of dogs. And most of the, the our um, results has come like the last five, six years. So uh, it was a little bit slow start, but now I think yeah, we have learned a lot and things are getting going a little bit smoother at the moment. Yeah, now you guys are on a roll. <laughs> Do you have <laughs> any uh, goals that you have set for the future for your team? Anything in particular you're looking to accomplish? The next goal is like uh, the, the European Championship next year in Germany. 
like European and World Championship is every second year. So that's the next championship. But I feel like it's I don't have any any goals, any dreams, anything I want to win at the moment. So just just looking like to won. get out and have fun with your dogs. Have fun with our dogs. And I know it, in slow dog sport it goes up and down. And at the moment we have very good dogs. It won't be possible to have such a good dogs forever. So uh, so now I think just manage to get out the potential of the pups, the new dogs, so they can do as good as their potential. I think that would be the main goal. And if it that, will bring results, that would be a bonus. Yeah, and that's a good goal to have. I think that's what a lot of people are looking for is to just bring out the most that they can out of the dog that they are sharing their life with. And a lot of that comes from our training that we do with the dogs. So let's talk a little bit about that. I know that you mentioned bike drawing is your big passion. When you are training versus racing, are you using the same equipment? Are you using the same bike? No, not at all. It's, uh, at the moment, I have three different uh, dog bikes, I would say. And I think it's very important if you, like me, we train 99% of the time is on the bike. So it's a lot of, <laughs> it's a lot of, uh, yeah, the bike is used almost every day. So I think it's important to have a, an own training bike because, uh, because yeah, it's a, it's a hard life for this bike. So uh, what I use for training is like, uh, it has uh, bigger discs, it had bigger tires, bigger knobs, and it's um, like a modern um, single speed so it's no gears nothing that can go wrong it can uh, it can take almost anything so um and it's comfortable to ride yeah it always works and it can you can take two and two and two dogs uh, it's just to be safer so it's um yeah you don't have to worry when you train with two and two dogs and uh, it's also more efficient because uh, you don't have to do much repairs or change uh, brake pads or bleed your brakes because uh, it can handle the dog training. The second bike is like uh, an old competition bike, a hardtail that I use when I want to uh, do some testing and train a little bit more speed and, and pretend it's competitions. And then I have the competition bike that I use. It's a full suspension that they use both competing with dogs and without dogs. And this is always like in mint condition, ready for racing. Uh, it's uh, not worn out. Uh, so with, with your training, obviously consistency is very important in order to get you and the dogs to a top level to compete. Talk to us a little bit about what your weekly training plan looks like with your dogs, how often you're going out, how long you're going out. Yeah. Uh, so every second day, it's our rule of thumb, kind of, that's uh and we train the dogs every second day and then we can adjust a little bit like uh, a little bit more when it when we want to to build uh, or have more volume but very seldom we do less than every second day every second day we're out training the dogs and um, and i think it's important to have this kind of rhythm because then you can follow them and you can build like step stone on top of stone or step by step you can increase a little bit and and you have kind of the feeling of where they are and it's much easier to see if things are going in the right direction because you have you know where to expect 
that their level are supposed to be. And uh, when you go out on a training plan, do you generally know what distance you're going to be doing, or do you let the dogs tell you what distance they're ready for? Normally, we know where we're going on and how far we're going. So, so uh, I like to say that uh, I have my training is like either a low quality or high quality, and because of course you would like to have high quality training all the time, but but uh, cost a lot of resources and a lot of time. So much of the training is is low quality, and then then we have different rounds, for example, where we know exactly in advance how far we're going. But when we turn up the quality and train for specific things, then maybe we will adjust during the exercise. But but most of the time we know in advance how how long we're going. And when you're doing that high quality training where you're making those adjustments, are you looking for specific signals from your dogs that would change what you're doing? Both uh, the high quality and low quality, you look for signals and uh, and you kind of adjust during, even though you know that you're going 10K, you can go 10K in different ways. It can be hard or you, it can be, if you know that it's going to be hard for them to reach the 10K, you can still manage in an easy way by uh, doing adjustments on the way. I don't have my dogs much free running, so so we are in the harness and uh, and then I look for, yeah, you, you kind of feel that uh, if it's going to be hard to manage to the car in a, in a efficient way, then. When you're, when you're going out training with your dogs, are you often helping them or are you creating more resistance? Are you breaking more than you're pedaling? Yeah, I'm breaking a lot. And uh, our training is, uh, it's very often with very low speed, not a low average speed but we never have high maximum speeds like we never reach the, the high speed areas so uh, especially in the downhills we keep it always uh, low speed and uh, the, but on the flats we try to find an efficient speed so that they run efficiently it's maybe around like 25 kilometers an hour i try to find the speed that I think will be bring us as efficient as possible towards uh, the end of the training, any kind of way. So try to find speed where they're rolling and without using much energy, they they can gain um, gain meters. And of course, as I said, keep the the speed low in the in the downhills. And by doing that, then. I feel like we gain a lot of kilometers during a week or with as little, um, what do you say, damage on the body, the, the recovery is as fast as possible. So that's like in the, in the training, but then when you come towards the competition, then you need turn up speed a little bit to turn up speed and make the, the distance lower so that they get used to running in a, in a competition speed, but only at short, short distances. So when you're preparing dogs for races, you're training them, you're moving at slower speeds. Are you also training longer distances than what you're racing at? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because the dry land races are only four, five, six kilometers. 
So normally training is around between nine and 11, I would say, like the low quality training. So then that's why the, the speed is low so that they manage nine, 10, 11 Ks on the training. And then uh, when we turn up the speed, then maybe we're down to four or five K quality, a uh, bit more quality. So my main goal is to get a lot of kilometers in an efficient way. So they have like a big volume and then you can turn up uh, speed and reduce the, the distance when you get closer to the competition. So they get used to the high speed and uh, they have a um, big base, but when you come to the competition, then you have more energy or more, um, you are ready for racing. Right, more speed. <laughs> You're not yep. tired when you're entering the, the competition. Yep. Now, you've got a lot of dogs in the house. How often are you going out and doing bike drawing with just one dog versus two dogs? So when it's uh, when the this when the competitions are weeks away, then then I normally train two and two dogs just to be efficient. So I have more time to train myself and to rest and. But when the competitions are getting closer, then uh, then we train them more one-on-one -on -one to uh, just to prepare them and make them individual. And, and uh, so, so that um, that one-on-one -on -one training allows you to focus a little more on what that individual dog needs versus if you're running two, then you have to adjust a little bit to fit both of them. Yeah. So both that, and I think when they train alone, they everything gets a little heavier and they have to think by themselves. You can, and as you say, they, you can train on what this dog needs specifically. So, um, so they need to train alone as well. You cannot just train two and two. And when you are getting closer to your race, you start to drop the mileage and increase the speed when you are getting into the start of your season, I assume that you start at low mileage and then slowly work them up to that 10K or 11K that you were mentioning. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and then uh, the, the importance of consistency comes in because then you can, you remember how they managed uh, on last training and then you can just build up slowly. And in the beginning, because the train so short, maybe just, three, four kilometers, then you can train more often as well. So, so this period can go quite fast. You can just, so, so uh, when we start, I like to have more often than every second day trainings and, but we build up, make sure that you find the right power that you want. And then, then you can build up, but always try to remember how, how the power is and make sure that you have more speed at the end of, of the training. You feel, you don't have to increase the speed, but you feel that it should be possible to, to increase the speed at the end. It's like a good parameter to see if they're ready for longer distance next time. I think that's very, very important. And, and that's the advantage of uh, dryline training as well, because the gravel roads are always there. It's very easy to compare compared uh, to the winter, like here where we live, it's uh, it's not always very good snow conditions. So you have to be trained different places and you never know 
uh, how the snow snow is and where you can train so um, that complicates this this phase a lot so that's a big advantage of dry land it's much easier to compare each ex exercise when you're preparing for your dry land training and you're going out bike touring do you try to select different trails for different purposes certain trails where you can get longer distance or certain trails where you can get more hills yeah for sure so i think it's very important to to find the right place for uh, what you're supposed to train if it's but most of our training is like low quality uh, it's very close to home and it's a good place where you can easily get like 10 11 k's um, kilometers uh, without uh, it's like it's easy for their uh, brain to to do it's not um, not many rounds or it's not complicated to reach a high level of kilometers but when you want to complicate things then you can go other places where where it's more um, yeah the dog have to do more um, thinking and take more decisions which uh, makes it more complicated yeah yeah it definitely tires them out more mentally when they have to navigate a more challenging terrain which could make it challenging to get more miles in if their brain is working a little harder <laughs> exactly so in your training sessions one thing that often comes up when we're talking to a lot of people that are just getting started in these sports, people that might not have dogs that were bred to do this. Sometimes we can see dogs get easily distracted or maybe they're not motivated to continue, which we might also see in a young dog that doesn't quite have this good drive built yet. So how would you balance adding distance for a dog like that but still keeping them focused and have a good attitude about it. Yeah, I think yeah, I think many of the challenges that you mentioned uh, we can always also see in, in in dogs that are breed for for pulling because you will always meet challenges. But what's important to have like as a basic is that the dog is not supposed to end the good running. We have to take this decision. So. When things are going good and it runs the way you want, it's very important to end when they're doing things in the right way. It's not the dog that's supposed to take that decision. And when things are going good, you will always meet challenges. Like just the distance can be a challenge. And at some point, uh, the dog cannot run anymore. So of course you have to end it before that comes. And if you meet a steep hill, uphill, uh, if you come to water, or if you pass your car, or if you do another lap, all these things will be very hard for the dog. So it's important to take the break. If you think that it will not manage to pass and uh, this lake, for example, you have to take the decision before the dog does it or if you don't think it will manage you have to stop before the lake and um, so if you always end when things are going well then uh, i think that's the best thing uh, best thing you can do and and if uh, you have a dog that don't have much focus then you have to do very 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 short uh, laps 
I think that's the best thing to do. So one of the things that you just mentioned doing two laps at the same location or doing an out and back is often a challenge that I see people struggle with where the dog is motivated that first lap or motivated on the way out, but then they struggle kind of coming back and changing directions or repeating. Is that a moment where you would take a break, let the dog rest for a moment and catch their breath and then go again? Yeah. Yeah, I would take the break before you go out on a new lap for sure. And and training laps, it's something I like to do when we anyway is going to have a short training. Then then uh, we find very short laps so you can go around, around, around. Maybe four or five times a very short, but the exercise is very short. You cannot have a long exercise and then at the end train lapping. So so the times where where the dogs maybe it's warm maybe we are at the beginning of the season i like to train these kind of things because then you train quality for their head but their body is only ready for a short training so then even a short training gets a high value because you're trained two things so um even when talk to people they say that a high quality training should only contain one thing, but I like to <laughs> try to put two things into, into the training of the dogs because they are maybe on a level like a three-year-old. So you have to repeat things many, many, many times and always make sure that they manage. So, uh, so repetition is important. And, uh, Are there other common challenges that you can think of that you work on early in the season, like taking loops or doing an out and back that work the brain so that you get that high quality training in? Yeah. So uh, the most important is, uh, is loops. And it's, uh, as I said, entering steep uphills. So they keep the, the gallop and passing lakes. Like where we live, it's a lot of small lakes or small pools, which makes it very good. You can train even in the summer, but it's also very challenging to pass when they are ready for a bath. And of course, passing your own car can be challenging. In some competitions, you you have to park close to the finish line and uh, they have to um, pass that one. And, uh, And then you have the challenge with other dogs, like running in front, passing, etc. So it is a lot of things that that are challenging. When you're planning your training sessions, do you try to find one or two of these challenges in a run to focus on? Or do you find yourself combining them quite a bit in a single run? Yeah, it's normally just one or two things. But uh, like I normally train alone. So it's not... uh, so if I'm training with others, then training passing is something that comes natural. And uh, if uh, you want to improve something, you can also uh, it can also happen that you get weaker in these things. So when we meet the obstacles, we try to handle it. But I don't. It doesn't have to be too much. Like that was very bad English. No, that, no, that was okay. So you don't go looking for a problem to focus on. You handle it when yeah. it comes up. Yeah. With our bike drawing. The dog is half the team and we as a human athlete are the other half of the team. 
what bike skills do you think are most important for our beginners or intermediate riders to learn without the dog? Maybe the most important thing is to have the right gear, I think, because even a professional cannot, it's, it's high risk even for a professional to go bike drawing on a, on a bike that is not fitted for bike drawing. Like you need good brakes and uh, the right tires will also improve like uh, the safety and the feeling and you feel just so much safer. So having the right bike is maybe the most important. And then um, to improve as a cyclist, you just need time on the bike. Time on the bike will just make you better. And I think the most efficient way of improving your cycling skills is to find like a single track that maybe if you can find a loop on the single track that takes between one minute or maybe five, six, seven minutes, and you just go around and around and around, it will improve so much and everything you learn, you can automatically bring into other single tracks. And, uh, and uh, I think it's a very, very good way of improving your cycling skills. So uh, a little bit of single track training and make sure that you have a bike that fit. And I think most people will be ready for uh, some bike drawing. Now you mentioned, of course, getting the dogs ready and getting the dogs fit but you do workouts without them quite a bit. Are you working out in season in addition to them? Or do you find that most of your cycling without the dogs happens in the off season? Uh, yeah. So I, I try to cycle the whole year through, but uh, we always give the dogs like eight weeks of non-harness. Uh, like we have eight weeks, but they don't do any pulling. And then this is the eight weeks where you, where I try to put in as much training as I can uh, on my own. But yeah, I try to cycle as much as I can during the year as well. Now you mentioned eight weeks of the dogs where they're not pulling in harness. I assume this is our off season. Are they getting other activities during this time to help maintain muscle? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, so the main reason why we give them eight weeks is to make sure that injuries that we don't see will heal. I call it injuries, but it's not, of course, they're not injured if we cannot see it. But if there are small things that we don't see, this will heal. And then we try to spend um, eight weeks without any kind of stress. And we try to train as much core and different kind of things during this eight weeks. So yeah, it's core training and it's uh, power walk and, and different kind of and swimming and free running, etc. So uh, try to train and improve things to, so that they are prepared for a new year of training. Now, Obviously, when we are training, you know, you mentioned those injuries and there are, of course, injuries at the end of the year that we, we can't see very small things that if they don't get time off, they could become something bigger. When you're watching the dogs during the season, are there certain signs that you're looking out for that might indicate that one of those smaller injuries might be popping up? Yeah, I'm not the expert. It's my wife that she's the expert when it comes to injury and looking after the dogs. But I have learned some things during the years. But uh, what I see is that 
she's using her eyes, always observing the dogs, how they stand, how they walk, how they behave. So just by using your eyes, you can see um, even the smallest things. And so looking is like the main thing. And also by touching your dogs and try to think a little bit about how things feels every evening, touching them. And if they have some kind of injury, you can see that they will behave differently because it's many ways of showing pain in any kind of way. I think it's important that every, even if we have multiple dogs in the house, that we are watching each dog as an individual, because every dog, like you said, will show that discomfort in a different way. And they'll tell us that they're not feeling well. And then we can add in additional rest days or a trip to the vet if needed. Do you find that your rest period during the off season and then your focus on training like swimming and long walks helps keep them more injury free in your early season by maintaining that muscle? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very important for them to have this, this off season uh, period and they are very motivated uh, when they start again, but it's also very important for us to have this uh, two months without any dog training. Like me, I train before office hours. So I have to wake up very early and it's very nice (laughs) with two months where you can sleep a little bit longer. So I think it's very important. For somebody who is just getting into the competition aspect of dog powered sports and bike joring, and they're looking to kind of step up their training or improve their training plan with their dog, Do you have any other tips or recommendations that you would give to them? Yeah, I think it's important to build stone by stone and to learn as much as possible and uh, don't get too many dogs too fast. Like uh, make sure that you can handle one dog and two dog before you get three and four and five and six. Try to both train the dogs and yourself you are so fit that uh, it's possible for the dog to run fast as well. I think that's great advice. I think sometimes people will focus heavily on the dog training and then forget to focus on themselves as well, which is a very important component. It's many good, good dogs out there that don't manage to show how good they are. (laughs) Yep. If you're on a training run versus if you are racing, We talked a little bit about the speed of the dog and how that's different, but I assume that you are also doing things a little differently as well. Yeah, because of course, racing and training, it's very different. It's much higher speed and it's, uh, and you don't have any brakes, but on the other hand, I think the way we compete is also very, very similar to the training. It's like we try to make sure that the competition is not as hard as possible for the dogs. Like I say that competing is like taking money out of the bank, but I want to save as much money as I can for the big championships. That's when you want to have a lot of money that you can take out. So therefore, every competition is like 90, 95% you take out not 100% every time. 
and we try to compete as little as possible. Just make sure that we have money in the bank for, for the big competitions. And when we compete, we try not to squeeze out everything of the dogs. Make sure that you have, make sure that the, even the competition is a good, um, the dog ends, comes to the finish line with a good feeling. So it's always possible to increase the speed at the end and keep the maximum speed as low as possible, etc. just to make sure that. So I never thought about it before, but, but our competitions is also very similar to the training in a kind of way. Trying You're to have that building, building up and training, but not expecting them or wanting them to be completely exhausted or flat out by the end of their race. Exactly. Not flat out. Do you find after competitions that you will then change your training plan for the next week? Do you give them more time off or do you give them an easier run when they get back in harness? Yeah, I think it depends a little bit for, for short competitions. It's no need for, because they have just run a couple of kilometers and they're in a very good, they're not tired on the Monday, for example. So then it's no need. But sometimes when, uh, especially on the ski competitions, when they do like 15 kilometers, then, then they need, uh, they need more, um, more time to, to recover for sure. I know that certain trails and certain environments can be more mentally challenging for dogs, even if they're physically prepared for it. Has there ever been a moment at a competition where something has been more mentally challenging for the dogs than you would have expected? Yeah, normally we know uh, in advance if it's going to become going to be challenging. Like in one week, we we're going to have Norwegian championship in ski drawing and it's only 10K, which is nothing, but it's going to be three laps and it's in the middle of the day. So this is going to be very challenging, but I think more um, what is, um, I think when the trail, especially on the dry land, is flat and hard, so the average speed is super high, that's something that will make the recovery time much longer than a track with, uh, with, a, with a low average speed, for example. So this is something that has to be taken into consideration. I know that you mentioned, and obviously most of this episode is all about bike drawing, but I know that you do compete with these dogs on snow as well. Do you change anything in your training plan besides, of course, the bike to skis as you are transitioning from dry land to snow? Yeah, for sure. It's a very big difference from competing in uh, 5K and then you're going to compete in 15 kilometers. So... And that's very challenging for us because the dryland season ends in November and then the first races on snow is in January. So then you have not much time to, to program the dog for longer distances because I think their shape is good enough from the dryland training, but because you cannot tell them that now it's 15K, we've been training five competing in 5k for the whole year then uh, they have to be programmed and like you have to start this step by step to program it from a short to long distance 
Do you, so you cannot tell them? You have to tell them by training. Right. Do you find that that process is fairly similar to how you build mileage up for dry land, where it's adding distance a little bit at a time and keeping that speed slow? Yeah, it is. So it's very similar, but uh, it's also very different because it's very easy to go to zero to 10. It's worse to go from 10 to 15. So it's a little bit challenging. And normally it's a very, very hard to train in in December because uh, yeah, it's in the middle of the season. So it's a little bit snow and it's dry and it's, so it's hard. So normally it's very complicated to, to manage this. Uh, Are you switching back and forth then between a bike and a scooter or skis based on what the weather is giving you? Yeah, yeah, you are. So um, we don't have time to, to travel every day to, to find the snow, for example. So we have to take what is here. And uh, yeah, normal, it's getting icy and it's, it's very, yeah, you have to be very flexible to, to find somewhere to train safely. Do you find that you have dogs that do better at certain activities, some dogs that perform better? at your dry land bike drawer races that might be shorter and then some dogs that maybe excel a little more at the longer snow distances? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the, the good thing by uh, sled dog sports is that you have many different disciplines. So you can find the discipline that fits your dog. But that requires also that you are prepared to be able to help the dogs. But if you're good at skiing and bike touring, then it's like, if you're good at bike touring, you can also easily do well on scooter. And if you're good on skis, then you normally can do good on sled. But I think it's very important to find the right discipline for your dog. It's That's better to find the right discipline for your dog than to say that I want to be world champion in uh, bike touring and I will only train bike because maybe your next dog is not the bike touring dog. Maybe it's better for scooter. So I think it's important to always try to find the discipline that where the dog can show its potential. So me and my wife are uh, deciding because both are racing. So who is going to have the best dog? We try to divide so that the dog can do as good as I can. The girls often do shorter distances, for example. So if you have an explosive dog, then she will take it. And so we try to divide so that uh, the dog can do as good as possible. When you think of, you know, your ideal bike during dog, a dog in your household or a dog that you'd like to have on your team, are there certain physical and mental characteristics that you think really stand out as a dog that would thrive as a competitive bike tour dog? Yeah, I think it depends much on the track that you're going to. If it's fast and flat, then you can have like a small dog. If it's slow, then you need a bigger dog, for example. And if it's very challenging with, uh, and then you need a strong mental dog, so it's very hard to say, but but I prefer to have uh, girls because it's more easy just in the in the everyday life. A good dog is normally a good dog. And you do your best to kind of train the dog in front of you to build up all of those speed, endurance, and mental strengths so that no matter which dog you're running, you can be running a strong dog. 
yeah yeah for sure we try to get out the potential of each dog you mentioned yeah. that you cycle quite a bit on your own are you doing other physical activities outside of that running the gym how do you kind of mentally prepare yourself as well normally i try to sign up for the norwegian championship in um, in cross-country cycling it's in june so that like in at the end of our eight week off season so it's for me it's a very good motivation to train hard during this off season to prepare for this championship and uh, and this training is something that you kind of will have to live on for the rest of rest of the year but but that's also why i try to have this low quality dog training to make sure that i have more time to train for myself so and um, but uh, being a musher is really it's busy so you have to put in the training in your everyday life and find kind of your style but for me it's it's good to bike to work it's low quality but it gives you training and then train as much power as possible and a couple of intervals every week then you're kind of filled up and uh, are those intervals without the dog yeah, for sure. I, I don't see the dog training as training. You sit on the bike, but but it's not kind of training. But the, the bike training races are very short. So by having power and train short inter- intervals, then um, I think you're good prepared for the races. And as long as you have good dogs, then you don't need to be... A professional cyclist but you should kind of come up to a certain level and from there on i think it's more important to have a good dog do you think that setting those human goals for yourself of that rate that cross-country bike race do you think that that helps you stay motivated to keep yourself in shape for the dogs yeah for sure for sure and so this uh, this competition is very important, and then I also have one time a week intervals with some friends. That makes then you always see your improvement and make sure that you are on track and keeps you focused from week to week. You don't have to be super fast the whole year, but just to make sure that you are on track. Now I know that you mentioned that off season for your dogs is about eight weeks of no harness work. Do you ever give yourself any off time as well, where you're not out there on the trails? No, it's uh, it's no uh, off season, but because it's such a big change, like it's cycling during most of the year. And then when it's snow, then we train the dogs on snow and everything is on skis. By doing that, then when the spring is coming right now, all my friends that have been cycling the whole winter, so I feel like I'm kind of behind schedule. Just by doing that makes you very motivated to to catch up. And uh, and the same thing when the winter is coming, you have to catch up all the guys that have been skiing the whole summer. So just by variating, it you get this mental off-season. Even though you're not taking time off, you're kind of switching between activities, biking by yourself, biking with the dogs, skiing with the dogs. So it gives you enough of a variety that it doesn't kind of drain you mentally. Exactly. And, uh, and that's a good thing by competing with dogs. 
if you want to be world champion on cycling, you have to be into the details the whole year. But because we have the dogs, it's possible to, to switch and variate and compete differently. Well, I think this was fantastic. Thank you so much for spending so much time with me and talking about all this stuff. I know a lot of people will get a lot of value out of this. Thank you. It was fun. So until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trails.